0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you uh, to open the Word of God with you. Last week, if you weren't able to catch up uh, with the sermon that was preached, Pastor Brandon opened uh, the, the letter of 1 John to us and, and, and gave a fantastic sermon, just, just walking us into the context that this letter was written and why it was so important. And, and today, I want to take us further on into that. So, if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the letter of 1 John. Uh, we're going to look at verses 5 through 10. And, and as you do that, I just want to set this time up together for us. Uh, th- this letter was written. Um to, to combat some false teachings, and, and woven throughout the letter, it's, it's, there's some themes that are kind of spirals, and what I mean by spiral is that he hits on an issue, and then he takes you kind of on the spiraling path, to look at it like a diamond that's multifaceted in many different shades of light, and, and so he does that with us today, so it doesn't read like his narrative uh, in, uh, of the Gospel of John, where it's more linear, or even like his letter, uh, the book of Revelation, it, it reads in this kind of spiraling nature with all of these themes. And we're going to continue looking at that, specifically this theme of light today that is just threaded throughout many of his writings. And the way that I want to talk about light is in a sense about revival. And our big idea of where we're going today with 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10 through 10 is this, is that the only way that the church can experience revival is to, is to learn to live in the kingdom of light. So as you think about that word revival, maybe it's a new word to you. Maybe it's not a new word to you. But what comes to mind? A traveling itinerant preacher at Grandma's country church? A big tent revival with an energetic and charismatic preacher? Or how about widespread corporate confession and weeping. In Pyongyang, North Korea in 1907, William Baird was called as a missionary and a movement began to sweep the planet that started in North Korea. Do you know what happened? has happened since the gospel broke into Korea in the early 1900s? Do you want to know why you can drive by any Korean Presbyterian church or Methodist church or Baptist church in Gwinnett County at 5 30 in the morning most days of the week and see the parking lot full it's because of the work that God did in Korea over a hundred years ago what began to start there and I want to unpack it for you because I think it's a it's a model for us at what the scripture how the scripture speaks about the nature of genuine revival among God's people and so to do that, there's a, there's a book that William Baird uh, wrote about this. And I'm going to just read a few snippets from it as you consider this. He says this, I wish to describe the Tuesday night meeting in my own language because part of what happened concerned me personally. We were aware that the bad feeling existed between several of our church officers, so elders and deacons, especially between Mr. Kang and Mr. Kim. Mr. Kang publicly confessed his hatred for Mr. Kim on Monday night, but Mr. Kim was silent. Now, there are are thousands of people gathered in this room when this happens. At our noon prayer meeting on Tuesday, several of us agreed to pray for Mr. Kim. I was especially interested because Mr. Kang was my assistant in the North Pyongyang church and Mr. Kim an elder at the central church. As the meeting progressed, I could see Mr. Kim sitting sitting with the elders behind the pulpit with his head down, bowing where I sat, I asked God to help him. And looking up, I saw him coming forward. Holding onto the pulpit, he made his confession. I've been guilty of fighting against God. As an elder of this church, I've been guilty of hating not only Mr. King, but also Peng Moksa, which is the writer's Korean name, William Baird. And Baird says this, I've never had a greater surprise in my life. I had no idea that this man hated me. Turning to me, he said, can you forgive me for thousands of people? And so I stood and began to pray for him. And it seemed as if the roof was lifted off the place and the Spirit of God came down from heaven as a mighty avalanche of power fell among us. Then began a meeting the like of which I had never seen before, nor wish to see again, unless in God's sight it is absolutely necessary. Every sin a human being can commit was publicly confessed that night. We may have our theories of the desirability or undesirability of public confession of sin. I have had mine. But I know now that when the Spirit of God falls upon guilty souls, there will be confession, and no power on earth can stop it. Man after man would rise, confess his sins, break down and weep. Then throw himself to the floor and beat the floor with his fists in perfect agony and conviction. My own cook tried to make a confession, but broke down in the midst of it and cried to me across the room, Pastor, tell me, is there any hope for me? Can I be forgiven? And then threw himself to the floor and wept and wept and almost screamed in agony. Sometimes after a confession, the whole audience would break out in audible prayer and the effect of the audience of hundreds of men praying together in audible prayer was something indescribable. This is where Korean praying style was birthed. Again, after another confession, they would break out in uncontrollable weeping. And we would all weep, and we could not help it. And so the meeting went on until 2 a.m. with confession and weeping and praying. Church, this is what the beginning of a genuine move of God's Spirit looks like among God's people and that's why it's so significant that we understand clearly what 1 John 1 5-10 talks about if you've ever read the Psalms you read Psalm 51 which was David's revival and here's how he approached God even though he had hurt Bathsheba and Uriah murdered Uriah because of his sin and and here's how david responded he said my sin is ever before me against you and you only have i sinned. create a clean heart in me O god and renew a right spirit within me the first question we've got to ask ourselves this morning is an honest question do we really want the lord to revive his people in new city church and in the world Because this is what is going to happen. There will be a widespread confession of sin, an acknowledgement of where we've fallen short and a desperate longing for God's grace to be poured out upon our souls. Do we really want to walk in the kingdom of light, not the kingdom of darkness? Because that's what revival is. It's our heart's response to the invitation to belong to another kingdom. So what I want to do today is I want to read freshly 1 John 1, 5-10 with this idea of it being a sojourner's guide to revival for us. So let's hear the Word of the Lord together. This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness... If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So, so three things I want to talk about today. When it comes to experiencing this revival that First John 5.10 invites us into, 5-10. through 10. Is the first thing is we've got to receive the gospel. We've got to hear the gospel. Second thing is we've got to learn to stay in the light. And the third thing is this we've got to acknowledge the only thing that can keep us from it. So let's dig in together. We've got to receive the gospel message. 1 John 1 5 says this God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The Apostle John was Jesus' best friend on the earth. Jesus loved John so much that he entrusted him with the responsibility of caring for his widowed mother. And we can read about that in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. John wrote the Gospel of John and these three letters in the book of Revelation. And it's so cool to see these many facets of the kingdom of God, especially this idea of light that John wants us to grasp about the nature of the kingdom of God. They're all over his writing. And what John is teaching us in this verse is about two kingdoms. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. John starts with God, not man. Because that's where the Gospel starts. It starts with God and not man. It's about God's one-way love, His pursuit of wretched sinners coming down and waking waking up our souls. Not by any merit of our own, but Him coming down to redeem us and opening our eyes. It starts with God and not us. And and, and the interesting thing is is that if your faith starts with your parents and not God, if if your faith starts with your spouse and not God. It is a faith that is not founded on the nature of the kingdom of light because in Him is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. So if, you're, if your relationship starts with any other person, there's gonna, it's going to be mingled with darkness. And it's so significant that we need Jesus to be the only mediator of our faith with God. God is light and in Him no darkness at all means this, that He exposes all that we have become. If we don't start with God, we kid ourselves by only thinking part of our stories are exposed by the light. That that only part of who we are is visible for God and for the community that we live among. That's what was so significant about the revival in Pyongyang. Was that the floodlights of the gospel overwhelmed the hearts of God's people. As they realized how sinful they are, but yet how loved they were in the gospel. And it was such a movement that it's it's shaken the whole world. Listen to these instances of the nature of the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That is past tense language, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But we are already in the kingdom of light, Paul says. Or Peter writes it this way, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called, past tense, called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. Church, if our walk with God doesn't start with God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, the best we can hope for is a vacation to the kingdom of light whenever we mess it up big and get found out. That's the best we can hope for. But it is not our kingdom. It is not our home. The kingdom of light is not. If our life is about concealing who we have become, we were born into the domain of darkness, blinded by the darkness of this world and blind to the light of the gospel. It it, it sounds nice, but you know, a lot of times we think, Oh, I could really do without that. I've kind of got this on my own, and we know that because we're not so desperate for grace. But let me remind you of what the apostle Paul said about the nature of how someone becomes a follower of Jesus and starts walking in the kingdom of light. Here's what he says, Second Corinthians chapter four, verses four through six. In their case, he's talking about the unbelievers. In their case, the God, little g, Satan, the enemy, the God of this world, the kingdom of darkness, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And what has he blinded them from? To keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And and what does the light do? It exposes us. He goes on to say, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light, light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Church, that is my prayer for each of us. For the floodlight of who God is to expose all that we are so that we can dwell more deeply, tethered to Jesus Christ the gospel is an invitation to live in the kingdom of light to abandon the kingdom of darkness and its false promises and lies of concealing who we have become and it's an invitation to life in the light so if you're listening today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus mean you have not bowed your knee to him you have not confessed that he is Lord you have not repented of your sin Really, you need to listen no further. The invitation for you is to receive the kingdom of light, to acknowledge that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And to be confronted by the light that Jesus is the only one who's ever perfect and you need Him. If you're in here and you are a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you for the rest of our time together how to stay in the light. Because John helps us with that. So there's two things I want to talk about as we learn to stay in the light. The first one is this, confronting the darkness through confession and receiving forgiveness as promised. So in my house, uh, from time to time, uh, just full disclosure here, we have cockroaches, all right? Now... There are two types of people in Georgia. I've learned there are people that admit that they have cockroaches, and then there's people that are lie that they don't have any cockroaches in their house. It doesn't matter how much we clean. It doesn't matter how much we spray for bugs. We see cockroaches in our house. It could be that our kids are feeding them, which I know that they are because there is a feast on the floor every morning. But the thing that you notice about a cockroach is this: if you've ever w- waked up, woken up in the middle of the night, and flipped on the light, they scatter. They scatter. But but when you think about a moth, what does a moth do when you turn on the light? It's drawn to the light. There is within us, within our sin nature church, a, there, there is within us a, uh, it, te- it, it tempts us to channel our inner cockroach, all right? That, that's, what, that's what the enemy does. You can put that on a t-shirt, put the new city logo on it, you'll sell millions, okay? Th- that, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to channel the inner cockroach to run from the light. when when we fear that we're going to be exposed. But the invitation for us, when we learn that the kingdom of light is such good news for us, is that we want to run to the light switch and turn it on as quickly as we can to receive the good news, the steady flow of the gospel into our hearts. And, And John says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. What's that mean? That there will never be a time in your life where you have no sin. That this idea of complete sanctification, that you can somehow be done with sin, this side of glory, is a false assertion. It's not not one that's possible for you, is what John is saying here. But he says the truth is not in us if we're assuming that. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most Christians that I have been around myself included, have a very poor understanding of where the power to experiencing ongoing revival comes from. Uh, you know, you can give me an amen if, you're, if I'm reading your mail this morning. Maybe you don't struggle with this. But maybe, maybe your situation looks like this. You do a pretty good job of walking in the light for a season of your life. And then uh, something comes up, a change of rhythm, a temptation, a quarantine, uh, an anxiety, or an external pressure... And you start fumbling around and fooling around in the darkness again. And and what happens next is where the train gets derailed in your own heart. The first thought that comes into our mind is this, I can't believe I just did that. Or, where did that come from? Or, well, I know where it came from now. I'll make sure not to do it again. But do you know what your response says nothing about? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, God has not called us to a life of sin management, church. He has called us to Jesus Christ to confront the darkness of our hearts when we see it, and we will, and to let the gospel expose it so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins, which is how the gospel addresses sin. He doesn't say you're going to be sinless. He says you're going to be forgiven if you come to him. So there's an invitation for us to turn on the light switch when we see the darkness. To confess our sins to Jesus is to flip on the switch, and in flipping it on, we confront the darkness. We don't mess around with the darkness, but we hit it head on. We confront it as quickly as we can, as painfully as it is, to turn on the switch, we turn it on. There are also many times in our lives, as James tells us, that God calls us to confess our sins to one another, this is the part that's really hard. We're, we're we're pretty cool with confessing our sin in the closet, but it's really difficult to confess our sins to one another. James five sixteen says this: Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. People that thrive in the darkness need to be healed. They need to see the invitation to live in the light is much better. It's a much better way to live and. He says the prayer of a righteous person has great power in it's working. That as we confess our sins around those that are righteous because of Jesus is righteous is not their own, that somehow God heals our heart from the temptation to look for life in the dark. He heals us. And the reason that God calls us to, to confess our sins to one another, because in our nature, in our sin nature, we have the false, a love for the false sense of security that the darkness brings. We think if we stay secret, we'll be motivated enough to change the way that we're behaving. And the enemy wants New City Church to be a bunch of phony pretenders. I promise you that. He wants us to act like we don't have a sin problem. Because in his kingdom, it's, it's the domain of darkness and his power is keeping us in the dark. The power of the kingdom of light is turning the switch on that is the face of Jesus Christ in the midst of our sin. As long as the lights are off, we're under His power. We're in His domain. Wednesday afternoon, I received an urgent call from a dear friend that I just happened to pick up. It seemed random to me, and I picked it up. The first thing that this guy says to me is, man, I have blown it so bad. I have no idea what to do. I'm in so much trouble, and I... I mean, my mind is racing. What in the world? I have so many questions. Right? You would too. What would you do? Where? How would you lead someone that called you and said that? Would you just begin unpacking the scenario, letting them fumble around in the darkness that they are, that they are experiencing? How, how would you lead someone in that? Do you have those friends that call you to that? So I said to this, this, this guy, you know, I have another friend who's blown it big time, just like you have before. I didn't get into all the details. And I said he wrote a psalm about it. It's Psalm 51. And so I proceeded to just encourage this brother to listen and let the words, the scriptures, the light of the scriptures wash over his soul. And I just read it, the whole 20 verses over him. And the Spirit of God began to wash him. And thereafter, he confronted the darkness of his own heart through confession. Instead of fumbling around in the darkness and trying to navigate the consequences of his sin, he realized that against God and God only had he sinned. And God and God only would give him the power to confront the sin of his heart through the light of the Gospel. Then he went on to have a significant conversation with the person that he had offended that night. And church, do you know what happens every time that we do this in community? The gospel is proclaimed to the world. Have you ever thought about the way that we live in community and confessing our sins to one another so that we can find healing? Is an invitation for the world to receive the good news of Jesus. I know a lot of times we like to proclaim the gospel when we're in a good place. But did you know that the gospel goes out with more power when you're in a bad place? Because that's where you really are. That's how God is really working in your life. But the question I can't stop asking myself this past week has been this. Why do I hate to confess my sin? Maybe that's you. Why do you hate to confess your sin? You know what it is? I do this because I have carried old kingdom principles into the new kingdom life. I have carried carried principles of living in the darkness into principles of living in the light. And I've intermingled the two. You see, in the kingdom of darkness, we're always brushing off sin. We're always covering up and trying to make ourselves look better because that's the essence of the kingdom of darkness. It's a a kingdom built on lies. And not only that, sustained by lies. So as long as we can keep lying, we can keep feeding the growth of the kingdom of darkness among us. I don't confess my sin because I cannot confront the fact that my Christian life seems to be going backwards and not forwards. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Isn't that the way it works sometimes? Our lives seem to be going backwards instead of forwards. The inherent problem with this way of thinking is that the assumptions about the nature of the kingdom of light are entirely different than the assumptions of the kingdom of darkness. Entering the kingdom of light begins with the fact that you are sinful and need a Savior. So if you don't approach God that way, every day, every moment of your life, how can you expect to grow in the kingdom of light? You've based your your life in this kingdom on the wrong assumptions. It starts with the fact that we are sinners because that's where, in reality, our life starts with Jesus. This is why I'm going to say something pretty bold here. And I think it'll be helpful though. Sinlessness is not the strongest metric for Christian maturity. Let me say it again. Sinlessness is not the strongest metric for Christian maturity. It's not the strongest gauge for you to look at in your life with how you're doing with Jesus. So many of us depend on our sinlessness as the vehicle for joy as Christians. So... Sometimes we're doing great and other times we're doing awful. And here's the thing. You know how we haven't, who we haven't invited into that? Jesus. It's all been up to us and our own ability to knock it out of the park or destroy ourselves. And so we don't have joy. Here's why using sinlessness as your only mark for maturity is not good. Our awareness of sin changes over time. If you haven't noticed, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more sinful you will realize that you are. That is not an opinion. That is a fact. Some of you have heard me say this before, but my good friend Jeff says it like this. He says, it's like this when you become a follower of Jesus. It's like you get this huge dose of spiritual anesthesia. So think about Novocaine if you've ever been to the dentist before. I just made some of you cringe. Sorry about that. But you get the shot of Novocaine and it numbs you and they give it time to numb you and then they can do the dental work but what begins to happen as the novocaine wears off is you become aware of the fact that you have stitches in your mouth or you've got a root canal done or, or something super painful like that and it begins to get numb and you begin to feel it a little bit more that's what it's like in the christian life god in his grace he, he doesn't often make us aware, as aware of our sin as He could when we first become followers of Jesus. And the longer that we walk with Him, the more aware we become of how sinful that we are. A perfect example of this is the Apostle Paul's own recollection and self-awareness of who he was in light of who God is. Paul, as a young man, early on in his ministry, described himself as the least of the Apostles. But do you know, on his deathbed, as he wrote 2 Timothy, he, he described himself as he was in prison when he wrote it, he described himself uh, as the chief of sinners, as the worst of all sinners possible. Yet this man is the man that God worked through to take the gospel to the world at that time. So, what that means for us is this what changed? Was it his sin? Probably not. It was his awareness. The Bible clearly tells us that as long as we walk this earth, we're going to be sinners. But the kingdom of light and the joy that flows from it in our hearts has never been dependent on our ability to be sinless. Only Jesus's ability to be sinless and impart his righteousness to us to credit our accounts. That's the only thing that your joy is dependent upon. If we're living in true fellowship with the father, we have to deal with our sin or we just keep fumbling around in the dark. If you don't have joy in your heart right now, I almost guarantee you, this is what is going on in your heart. You're trusting in your ability to be sinless, to let yourself live in joy. And ultimately, what we do is we're playing the part of God in that moment. We're saying, I'm going to punish myself because I don't deserve joy. You see, God punished Jesus on your behalf. So to trust in your own ability to knock it out of the park, to receive joy, is to play the part of God in your own walk with Him. So if this is true, what this means is when we see sin, it doesn't mean we're not saved. What you do with sin over the course of your life reveals which kingdom you ultimately belong to. If you belong to the Kingdom of Light, you will confess your sin as soon as you possibly can. You will invite people into your life to help you examine what's going on in your own heart. Because you need to flip on the light as quickly as possible. That's the invitation. If you're in the kingdom of darkness, you will conceal and dim the light of the gospel. Because God is light, church, we don't have to fake it. We can be real. And somehow this mysteriously transforms us to have hearts that genuinely desire to be like the one that so desperately loves us and shows us His grace. Our ability to be holy as God is holy does not come from our ability to toe the line of obedience. It comes from God's grace that He extends to us and mysteriously mysteriously transforms us in such ways that we love God from our heart, not just from our actions. That's where the power for grace comes. Because God is light, we don't have to fake it. So let me just ask you this. Do Do you have a culture of confession in your relationships? Do you have a culture of confession in your relationships? Think about the relationships that you have. It could be relationships in the home with your, your kids or spouse. It could be relationships in the classroom. It could be relationships in the workplace or in the extended family or in your groups of friends. Is it okay to not be okay and to be your friend? You know what I begin to realize? Is that sometimes I blow up on my kids when they sin. How could you do that? Do you know how evil your heart is right now? If you keep doing this, you're going to go to prison. Those are the types of things that sometimes come out of my mouth, and I even confess that to you now. But you know what's happening when I respond that way to sin? Is I'm slowly crushing the culture of confession in my home. When you blow it with a friend and you say something you wish you hadn't have, Does God's grace lead you to see your own sin and to confront the darkness as quickly as possible, or you just let it linger? And does that relationship become one of those statistics about an estranged friend who can't trust another one? Because the kingdom of light offers us an entirely separate set of standards to evaluate and live in friendship together with. Do you have a culture of confession in your relationships? Have you ever seen the movie, The Chronicles of Narnia? Was specifically in that series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's this 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 movie is about this book is about um, it's really about two kingdoms, and about these these children discover this magical kingdom called the Kingdom of Narnia, and there's this other kingdom, the Kingdom of Darkness, that kind of coexists with the Kingdom of Narnia, and. And there's this scene where Lucy first, she first realizes the kingdom of Narnia. She stumbles into it. Look at this photo that is from that scene. It's a, it's a photo of a wardrobe. And the way that Lucy found the kingdom of Narnia is she was going to hide and she stumbled through the back of the wardrobe and ended up in Narnia. Church, do you know that our confession of sin is our window, our entry point into another kingdom. Every time the enemy attempts to convince you that you cannot confess your sin, he has convinced you that there's life in the darkness and there's not. Consider that as you live in community with others. Second thing about this point is this, is that we get to enjoy deepening fellowship with God and others as we confront our sin. Listen to 1 John 1, 6, and 7. If we say we have fellowship with the light and while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So the more that I have to come to God in confession, the more I realize how much He desires fellowship. With me. And confession is the conduit of our relationship. It's the conduit of how He applies His magnificent and holy grace to my soul. Walking in the light means understanding this that even though my behavior sometimes reveals old kingdom darkness ways, that the light always prevails and the extension of His righteousness to me is always a steady flow that I can trust. And so I don't have to get tripped up and beat myself up when I realize that I'm relying on those old kingdom ways. But I can repent and turn on the lights and learn to live in the light with my soul. Roy Hessian in his work, The Calvary Road, I encourage you to read it if you've got some time. It's a beautiful 100-page book that will rock your world. He says this in this book, Sin always involves us in being unreal, pretending, duplicity, window dressing, excusing ourselves and blaming others. And we can do all that as much by our silence as by saying or doing something. While we are in the condition of darkness, I love that phrase, the condition of darkness, we cannot have true fellowship with our brother either. For we are not real with Him. And no one can have fellowship with an unreal person. The only basis for real fellowship with God and man is to live out in the open with both. And he quotes First John here. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Love will flow from one to another when each is prepared to be known as the repentant sinner he is at the cross of Jesus. When the barriers are down and the masks are off, God has a chance of making us really one. So church, our, our inability to confess our sin to one another hinders the body of Christ. Because I relate to you, I interact with a false person. A person that is not as they truly are in Jesus. you see how that hurts the whole body? So when, when we choose to have extended seasons of living in the darkness, we choose to inflict harm on the body of Christ. I don't think I'd thought about that before this week. The honesty that we confess to God in confession is us being us. And when all the barriers and self-pretentious masks are revealed, we see that Jesus Christ hasn't even flinched in His promise to us. And what begins to happen is we have this growing confidence that the gospel is real because we need it. And our confidence grows extremely through our confession, and something begins to happen in our world, not just in our own hearts, not just in our own communities, but in our world, that there's this ripple effect that happens in our community, that confession makes us humble on one hand, right? There are are those that, that choose to be humble, and sometimes God humiliates us, right? But the fact is, is that a humble heart is a heart that is after God's heart. It's clear in the scriptures. So confession makes us humble, no matter how good other people think you are, you are a sinner. That humbles you. But assurance gives you boldness. So as often as we interact with, the, with our confession and we receive the assurance that we are forgiven, boldness and confidence grows in our heart. And do you know what's attractive to a watching world about Jesus? It's not how many Bible verses you know. It's not how much money you've given away. It's the fact that the Spirit of God has made your heart humble, and bold in the assurance that you are forgiven. That's what began to happen in Pyongyang. Everyone realized how messed up they were. I love the line in that book where he says, something began to happen that night that, man, I don't ever want to to revisit that because it was so painful to hear. But what came out of that confession and that assurance was a humility and boldness that has greatly impacted even our country, even our county, even my street. Think about that. Are you willing to let the Lord take our community there? The the only thing, church, this is the last point, the only thing that can keep us from walking in the kingdom kingdom of light is the deception of a sinless soul. John says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Point blank. Truth's not in us. So if you can look at your life at any, any given day and say, I've got no sin, you're deceived. That's what he's saying. Truth's not in you right now. Not saying the truth is never in you, or it won't be in you. It's not in you right now. If we say we've not sinned, we make him, Jesus, a liar. And his word is not in us. So what happens is, we say we don't have sin. Jesus said he came to rescue sinners. So Jesus somehow didn't come to rescue us because we said we don't have any sin. You see the issue there. The conflict there. Someone's lying and it's not Jesus. And so the only thing that can keep our heart in the darkness is by living like you're not a sinner in need of forgiveness. So, as I just wrap up here, there, there's this notion in a ministry that many of you are familiar with at New City Church called Celebrate Recovery. And the whole ministry started because they, they wanted to have a, a place where they could... Uh, Addicts could experience the renewing grace of God in a transformative way that would include confession of sin, but also a championing of assurance of pardon. And the reason that ministry started was because they felt like they couldn't do that in the local church. And as much as it grieves me to say that and acknowledge that, it's completely true. At least in the American church. What would it look like For us to be the type of community where it was okay not to be okay. That we didn't just fumble around in the darkness together wearing pretentious party masks. But we turned on the light switch as often as we can. As often as we gather together. We turned on the light. And that meant confession of painful sin. Maybe maybe there's people in our church, just like in that church, that you just need to confess that you've got something against. You've been offended or you've hurt them. You're just living in the darkness. It's affecting us all. Maybe you need to confront the situation and turn on the lights, write a letter, write an email, give a phone call, give a text, whatever it takes, because we need you to walk in the light as He is in the light. And that will change the world. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You that You are light and in You is no darkness at all. Lord, help us to walk in the light help us to see that walking in the darkness is far more scary than walking in the light. Because we've got a rock-solid promise for what happens to our souls when we walk in the light. And the darkness does not offer us that. As painful as it may be, Lord, I pray that, that You would teach our hearts and search our hearts today and convict us in such a way where we might be in agony over our sin, Lord, so that we can be tethered to Your grace. So Lord, as, as my friends and the, the people of this, this parish, this flock, New City Church, that You've entrusted to our leadership, Lord, I pray that their hearts and their souls would be searched this week and that the lights would be turned on. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.